0: Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks weekly podcast. Most wonderful to have you here. We're going to focus on the spine business this week. I spoke with Chris Barry. He is the CEO of NuVasive. We talked, of course, about NuVasive's core spine business, but we also hit upon some new tech that it's bringing in, including its Pulse system. We hinted a bit about robotics, and uh, later on in the conversation, He'll provide some uh, sort of some background to what is coincidentally our number one Newmarkers newsmakers. And actually, speaking of the old NN, before we bring in my podcast pal, Chris Newmarker, I'm going to uh, chat with Daniel Kirsch, our senior editor, and Jim Hammerin. He's our new managing editor of Medical Design and Outsourcing. He was on the podcast a few weeks ago. We're going to talk about our recent issue of Mental design and outsourcing. It is centered on women in medtech, as Danielle will point out. It's an issue that we've done several years now, and uh, we'll review some of the uh, some of the people profile, but also some interesting findings that uh, Danielle dug out. So, uh, great conversation with Jim and Danielle. So, we'll talk to them first. We'll bring in Chris Newmarker. We'll hit part one of my interview with Chris Barry. Finish up the newsmakers because number one is relevant. To, uh, to our interview with uh, NuVasive, and then we'll finish up strong with uh, part two of the Chris Barry interview. Before we begin, though, I want to let you know that we'll have a Device Talks Tuesday on Tuesday. It's brought to you by Zometry, and the topic is digital manufacturing for medical device prototyping. For more information, go to devicetalks.com. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Before we begin this week's installment of New Markers Newsmakers, we're going to learn about the latest issue of medical design and outsourcing. We're going to talk with Danielle Kirsch, Senior Editor, and Jim Hammerand, our new Managing Editor, and back for his second contribution to the podcast. Jim and Danielle, welcome. Thanks, Tom.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: So the, uh, the women in medtech issue is out. Uh, Danielle, you've worked on this for a few years, Jim. You're, you're, you're taking it over for the first year. Uh, I hear it's very robust. I hear it's very complete. Uh, Danielle, can you first sort of just give us an origin story of, of the issue? What does is it try to accomplish? And Jim, maybe then you can talk about the, uh, the effort that went behind putting out this issue.
1: Yeah, so this is our fourth year putting out this issue, and sort of the idea behind it is to highlight some of the innovations or things happening in the medtech industry that are being led by women, or you know, some startups that were founded by women. Just to sort of give some sort of a spotlight to those those companies.
0: Sounds great, and Jim, what was the uh, what was the process like? Take us through uh, the the experience of your first women in medtech issue. Well, and Tom, you know,
2: my name's on the masthead, but this really was a, a Danielle effort. You know, all the all the hard work uh, really fell on her. She did a great job with it. Um, really enjoyed my first time through this process. You know, the great deep data dives by Danielle on the, the leadership side, examining the gap and what still needs to be done to close it, as well as the research side. Really some interesting uh, information that I, I haven't seen anywhere else, but also the opportunity to... Uh, they're a spotlight on uh, companies that are doing really well, uh, the women that are uh, leading that and helping that make ha- that happen. And, uh, you know, taking a look at the future, both uh, where are some of these really large, well-established companies going, but uh, a whole host of startups and uh, innovations that uh, really seem to have a, a, a bright future.
0: Fantastic. Well, in a, in a moment, Jim, we can talk about some of the uh, people profile. But Danielle, let's let's hit upon the the research pieces that you did. You contributed two of these articles with some, I guess, somewhat dispiriting, but uh, but uh, necessary uh, data points that we should be we should be tracking.
1: Yeah, the first one that is kind of anticipated for myself uh, throughout the year is the prevalence of women executives in the top 100 medical device companies. And this year, just 21% of um, the top executives at those companies are women. And that's only up one percentage point from last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, you know, the, the the rate of increase is stagnant, but I mean, it's still increasing Slightly.
0: Yeah, but it, it's it is following a year where so much emphasis was put on on broadening uh, executive teams. So, uh, right, it may have been presented in, in other ways, but certainly in terms of uh, looking at uh, men versus women, the the progress was barely noticeable. I mean, one percent is not much.
1: Right, and then within that, also the average composition of women within each of those companies, women executives, is only nineteen percent. So each company, on average, has nineteen percent women in executive roles.
0: Interesting. So I actually, I actually thought that would have been higher just from going through websites and stuff. Um,
1: right. Same.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll uh, continue to, to to work on that. And you had a second piece too, which uh, I didn't know you were you were working on until we just started talking before uh, before this call. Uh, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I went through um, some of CMS's open payments data and sort of looked at the data from some of the top 20 medical device companies in the world and tried to figure out how much funding for research that they give to women physicians. So this was a lot of, you know, um, downloading the data, looking through all the physicians, Googling everyone um, just to see what was going on. And mm-hmm. among all that data, it's, uh, I found that only 6.7% of physicians who received research payments from those largest medical device companies were women. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. And on average, the women physicians received fifteen point seven percent of payments from each MedTech company. So they're not even receiving a majority of the payments. There were a couple of companies where women were the only physician that received money was a woman, like 3M doled mm-hmm. out seventy four hundred to one woman physician. But otherwise, it's still very small, very small amount of women physicians getting research payments.
0: Can you help me again discern between those two numbers, the 6% and the
1: 15%? Yeah. So total, the number of physicians who received research payments gotcha. among all the medical device companies were was 6.7% were women.
0: I got gotcha. you. Okay. So it's people versus money. Wow. Okay. So that needs to be worked on, huh?
1: Uh, for sure.
0: That's uh, that sounds like an interesting thing to keep track of. Have you, have you recorded that before? Is this the first time?
1: This is the second time I've done this. I skipped last year cause I had a lot of other, uh, interesting projects I was working on for the issue. But, yeah, um,
0: it was a busy year last it, year for everyone. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this is the second year. And I, I really like going through the CMS data cause it's kind of, it's kind of really opening. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this every year, obviously, <laughs>
0: Did, did you have a sense of how that compared to 2019 then?
1: Yeah, let me pull it up.
0: <laughs> and, and Danielle, while you're
2: um, while you're pulling that up, you know, this leadership d- a discrepancy and the discrepancy, even the research numbers, which probably reflects the number of women researchers versus men researchers, you know, this isn't unique to the med tech industry. We, we see it across all sorts of industries. But why it's particularly important in the med tech industry, you know, we checked in with Jen Breery, she's the CFO and COO at Advamet, but she's also the executive director of their diversity inclusion initiatives. And she made the point that, you know, the medtech workforce needs to mirror the patients that it's serving mm-hmm. if, if we're going to succeed in delivering this kind of innovative technology to the populations. Who need it? And she offered as an example the CDC listing the leading cause of death for women is heart disease. You know, despite a robust female uh, pipeline of medical students, uh, women only make up 13% of adult cardiologists. So, really, if we want to be able to treat differing populations to the best of our ability, it's really important to have women
0: um, at the top of the ranks and all the way through it that's interesting. Yeah, that's going to be it'll be uh, I keep using the word interesting, but it'll it'll be something to see in a, in a few years with the we we hear how the college population is shifted decidedly over to to women. Uh it'll be interesting to see if that translates into uh into more physicians uh down the line. But uh wow, okay. Good point, Jim. And Danielle, could you give us a comparison between uh 2019 and 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 this year?
1: Yeah, so it was actually slightly higher in uh two thousand nineteen. And I'm I'm gonna assume that it was because of COVID last year that it was uh smaller a smaller amount, but in two thousand nineteen, eight eight point two percent of physicians were women that you know got funding from the big med tech companies. So I mean it's still it's not a big difference, but it's still a little bit higher, two percentage points higher. So
0: mm-hmm. okay. Well, that's, uh, it's it's it would certainly be worthwhile to keep tracking that. So, uh, good stuff. Great. And, and, and Jim, the uh, the bulk of the issue, I think, it's fair to say, is, is profiles of of the work being done by uh, female leaders in medtech. Give us a, a couple of examples. Who, who's on the cover? What are some of the uh, the highlights? Sure. So uh, the cover story features
2: Carlene Oberton. She's the chief financial officer at Hologic. And we spoke about the company's success through the pandemic to not only ramp up COVID-19 testing infrastructure, but also to strategically spend that cash to set the business up for success after the pandemic. So they've bought some businesses that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And for the first time right now, they're uh, projecting really significant growth across all of their divisions at the same time. And I noted in the article that this is a story that goes back well before the pandemic, back to 2013, 2014, when CEO Stephen Millen Mm -hmm. joined Hologic and shook up the executive ranks. Essentially, he ousted everybody except for Oberton and set her up for advancement. And that really goes on to what we've heard from women about sponsorship versus mentorship. You know, women say they're ready to move up, but oftentimes men decide they're not ready. They want to mentor them, want to train their men before the promotion. And in this case, and I really appreciate uh, Carleen's uh, candor when she was talking about this with me, uh, McMillan came in, um, spoke with Oberton and decided that uh, she was ready and cleared the way. It's, uh, it's really not hard to imagine her succeeding. Mc- Milne as CEO eventually, or taking a top spot somewhere else. And um, I'm really excited to see what's next
0: for her. Sounds like a great story. And and anyone else you enjoy talking to?
2: Yeah. So I spoke with Marie Autumn from TE Connectivity. I know she's uh, been uh, on the cast with you before talking about single-use scopes. And so I asked her if she wouldn't mind just uh, talking with me a little bit about how an engineer like her, she works in TE's advanced technology group, so they're trying to figure out what, uh, what their customers are going to need in the future. So I asked her, you know, how do you find inspiration? How do you draw upon uh, different sources to drive innovation and drive that creativity? So we talked a little bit about what kind of settings uh, are best for creativity. You know, she always enjoys uh, having uh, natural light, looking out on uh, some scenery. And she talked about how they take a team of enge- teams of engineers to schools to do really basic science projects with kids. And this was pre-COVID, um, but before they would go to the to the classrooms to do these science experiments, the kinds where, if you remember, you know, using a potato and a light bulb and using the potato to light up the light bulb. She sits down with these teams of engineers from uh, from her company, and they do these experiments together before, and so these are really advanced engineers tackling elementary problems and having a lot of fun and getting those juices flowing. And so I think especially for a lot of teams that have been working remotely, working from home, haven't had that kind of in-person interaction, uh, she offers some uh, some advice for still remaining creative, still finding inspiration, uh, finding sources of innovation um, from the environments around us and from members of our team who we might not be seeing
0: face-to-face, but there's still ways to connect. And Danielle, overall, how many people were profiled in uh, in this issue?
1: We have over two dozen people that we have
0: profiled. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, it's it looks fantastic. It's a very robust issue. And uh, where can where can folks find it, Jim? Readers can go to medicaldesignandoutsourcing.com
2: and uh, go to our digital edition. They'll find it. Uh, they'll also be in the mail
1: shortly.
0: All right. Well, thank you both for, uh, for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you back. Thanks for having us, as always. Yeah, thanks. All right, we're here with my pal, Chris Newmarker, executive editor of Mass Device. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, man. Doing well. Good to be here. Great to have you, Chris. I am boosted. And you are boosted. We are boosted. I'm boosted. Are you Team Moderna? No,
3: no. All, Pfizer. Got my third Pfizer shot.
0: Oh, that's right. You're triple Pfizer. That's right.
3: Triple Pfizer.
0: I went for the 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 combo. So I uh, had the J and J to start, as we've talked about previously in the podcast, and then I decided to uh, try a little bit of that mRNA magic and see how that works. So
3: some of the good stuff developed in Boston. That's right. Got to give right. Boston some respect.
0: Signs up on Fenway on the Green Monster. It's it's important to uh, to vax local, Chris Newmarker. There you go. Vax local. Vax local. <laughs> got a Vax local when you can. So all you Moderna folks who are my neighbors, you owe me. I, I took one of your free shots, but uh, very excited. It was very, That's, very, yeah. very easy process. And uh, yeah, no side effects. Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty yeah, good. Yeah,
3: really? No, no side effects really here. Overall, we're doing great.
0: We're doing great. <laughs> and we'll be, uh, we'll be boosted for, uh, for Minneapolis. I'll be joining you in Minneapolis next week. We're going to visit with some folks. Have some lunches, do some coffees, have some beers. So uh, looking forward to, to, uh, to hitting MedTech Central with you.
3: If you see, if, yeah, if you're around md Minneapolis and you see a tall man with a goatee, that's Tom. I'm the short one with, 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 with Scrub. So we're kind of like, you know, um, I shouldn't compare us to Laurel. And Harvey, <laughs> should I? I don't <laughs> think so. <no. laughs>
0: I don't think so, Ollie. No, no. So,
3: <laughs> it'll be so much more fun <laughs> say hi to us we might even record a little thing at the show it'll be great yeah
0: and if you're in the minneapolis yeah. area and you want to get together shoot us uh connect with us on linkedin and and say hi we'll have some we'll have some time i got some some things yeah. i need to do but uh, maybe we can maybe we can get a little uh, meet and greet going somewhere at some bar or someplace so uh i don't want to overcommit but it'll be fun to see folks out there and in, in the medtech hub that is that is minnesota so, Penta. Oh my gosh, man! How
3: many? How long has it been since I've seen you in person?
0: It would have been Device Talks West, November, no, December, 2019, right? No, and wow. we had our company meeting January 2020. So, oh, yeah, what part t- of it? Wow. And you didn't, but you didn't go to MDM West in February when we all were making our COVID jokes. You weren't there for that
3: yes i managed to yes, miss that man. yeah <laughs> did it go to a, ha, ha, a ha. giant show yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> better not shake him ha, ha, ha. yeah that didn't work that's out
3: that's why i've two years man oh, this, this will be great yeah, it'll
0: be good to see each other and be good to see yeah. some minnesota so all right great well we've got some news as always this week we're gonna go through our, our new markers newsmakers i already spoke with uh with Jim Hammerand and Daniel Kirsch about the uh, the women in med tech issue for medical design and outsourcing. So, but uh, we've been churning out great stories on Mass Device and our other news sites. So, Chris, what is number five on the New Markers Newsmakers?
3: Well, number five on the list, we've got uh, uh, a Med Systems. Um, they've brought in Ryan Magnus as uh, as their president, and uh, you know Ryan uh, comes to them from uh, Varian, which uh, Siemens Health uh you know acquired uh, earlier this year, and a 16.4 billion dollar deal but um you know avail a um they're doing some uh, interesting stuff they've got i mean their big thing is um you know audio and vis- video telepresence platforms mm-hmm. you know we've we've written so a lot about how hot that technology is right now i mean it's um
0: and we had Explorer doesn't do exactly the same thing, but they're they're tangential to this and they got acquired. And of course, we've had Proxima on the podcast as well. So it's an area we've covered. And uh, it really, it's one of those industries that emerged from the pandemic and uh, is clearly not going to un for sure.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I suspect that MedTech salespeople are gonna really wanna get more in-person meetings going as we get out of this pandemic. But I mean, this is just, there's just some things that I think I, I suspect that doctors really appreciate being able to, you know, do, do virtually, especially like training or, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, monitoring, you know, operations or whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, this is, yeah, I think I think you're right. This this is here to stay. Yeah,
0: I know the physicians clearly aren't traveling. I mean, AOS was supposedly deserted, They're mostly just uh, orthopedic salespeople there. And uh, TCT, I think is happening right now. And I'm hearing it's mostly virtual. So, this is this is a future. It may not be the entire future, but it certainly is going to be a big part of it.
3: Yeah, I think in-person, people are going to want to do in-person meetings by next year. That, that's my uh, that's my hope, which is when we will do them. So
0: May 10th and 11th, Device Woo-hoo! Talks Boston, June 6th and 7th in Minnesota. And of course, October 19th and 20th, Device Talks West in Santa Clara. Right. Thanks we'll for get, that. We'll
3: be out of that pandemic, We'll be. it's going to be awesome, man.
0: It is. It is. All right, let's move on to number four.
3: Well, number four on the list. Uh, we've another uh, another big personnel news story. We got uh Integra Life Sciences uh announcing their new CEO, uh, their uh their present CEO, uh, you know, uh, is uh, is leaving to uh lead G Healthcare. Uh but wow. uh, yeah, I know it's a big, big move. Uh, it's one of the largest, G Healthcare, that's one of the largest uh med tech uh businesses in the world. Um, but um, Integra, they're bringing over uh uh Jan DeWitt. I hope I pronounced his name right. He's the uh Former, that's good to uh, me. Yeah, there we go. I think I uh, I've got a good uh, good pronunciation on my Dutch. He's the uh, former CEO of Barco, who is leaving. Uh, you know, the the Belgian based. He actually left the Belgian based company in uh, in September, so he's coming over to Integra uh, to lead them. And you know, the, this uh, Integra is based in New Jersey. They've got to focus on regenerative tissue technologies and neurosurgical uh, technology, and uh, you know, and uh, so yeah,
0: that's uh
3: it's a good. Uh, Good hire.
0: And what town is Barco based in, Chris?
3: You know, Barco. Oh, you're going (laughs) to No. It's a city in Belgium that I will not try to pronounce.
0: Let's move on to number three. (laughs) I was I was hoping you're going to say it. I'm reading. Like, come on, give (laughs) it a try. Do it. Do it, Chris. K O R T R I J K. Uh,
3: Yes. All right. (laughs) It's a Belgium based (laughs) company.
0: Well, Chris Barry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Exciting to have you on the, on the program. And uh, Nuvasive and is one of those companies uh, certainly been following for a long time from its start and always, always uh, when I could, sat in on its uh, presentations at JPMorgan. Uh was always a, a great presentation with uh, the Jeopardy game and all that. So uh, you guys certainly knew how to tell a story. But uh, I know you're, uh, you're newer to the company and we can uh, get into your transition to CEO, but I'd love to find out how did uh, you find your way into the, into the medtech
4: industry? Yeah, started out some years ago, um, I got some I'm going up on 24 years in, in MedTech. I actually started as a sales rep and uh, happened to start for a unique company, um, turned out to be very unique, but Tyco Healthcare back in the day, mm-hmm. which uh, evolved into Covidian, which involved in Medtronic, which ultimately was where I came from to Innovative, but uh, started out in sales. Carried the bag for a few years in Houston, Texas, and evolved early on with Covidian, and um, and progressed through through the career from there. It was great, 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 uh, great learning environment for me through those years with Covidian.
0: So you were with uh, with the same entity for the entire time, even though it, it changes names, uh, and it changes his name. And- twice and I guess in ownership twice too. I'm trying to remember what exactly happened with Covidian.
4: Yeah, Covidian was um, uniquely was the largest spin out I think in med tech history and mm-hmm. also the largest acquisition med tech history. So start out Tyco, which is a holding company of Tyco Healthcare that launched Covidian uh, under Rich Melia and then ultimately uh, acquired by Medtronic, I think in 2015. So interesting, interesting run, a lot, a lot of great people, a lot of talent.
0: Did you always have uh, in your mind that you wanted to be CEO and if so how do you sort of uh, prepare yourself for that and, and build the track to get you there
4: I mean honestly I, I didn't um, I've thought about that a few times and I've been asked that question a few times i I always had the ambition to continue to do more and move up uh, I think you know over the over the last maybe 10 15 years moving into areas of, of greater responsibility is what started catching at least my, my thoughts and my attention. And for me, it was more of a natural progression than it was an ambition.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, I think uh, as I saw some of my peers around me start to move into roles like CEO roles, it really opened up my eyes. And uh, as, I, as I started looking at it, looking at NuVasive became uniquely interesting to me. So I, I guess I, I would say, though, kind of starting out, I I had ambition, moved quickly, but uh, I think I think the CEO world became more... You know, apparent to me over the last maybe five or six years than it was early on in my career.
0: Anything in particular surprise you uh, about being the, the role of CEO? Anything you were unexpected uh, that that is unexpected or that you weren't expecting?
4: Uh, you know, there's so many things. I mean, I've learned a tremendous amount taking the role. Uh, obviously, over the years, have operated businesses, very large businesses. You know, just dealing in in making sure ensuring that I get a good good alignment with my board. You know. Uh, inter engaging inter- and, and interacting with, with our investors, mm-hmm. those things were not necessarily all new to me. I did some of those things uh, on the periphery with both Kaviti and Medtronic, but, but as CEO, it's obviously very, very different. And being really the, the internal face of the company, the external face of the company, uh, really time management uh, is, is a big deal. It, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. But, uh, but other than that, I think I knew what I was getting myself into for the most part, but, uh, but it's definitely challenging. I'm learning a lot.
0: And just going back one more step uh to the community and acquisition by Medtronic, uh you were I know were there during the integration, involved in the integration, uh the largest integration of that kind, as you mentioned in MedTech uh the Medtech industry. What was uh what was that process like? Uh and I wonder if you uh took any lessons away from that.
4: Yeah, it was it was it was very it was actually very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um I thought the leadership from Medtronic did a did a nice job. They had some really I think quality leaders on their side, uh, maintain, I think the, the, the right leadership within the, the, the civilian group that was being integrated in, in many ways, it, it was, it was treated like a merger. And in that way, it was very, you know, wasn't, wasn't necessarily threatening to, to, to our employee base. Mm-hmm. I, it obviously comes with challenges. There were synergies to, to reap along the way and, and those things are always tough and, and challenging to manage through. But generally speaking, I, I learned a lot. I, I learned, uh, I guess you know a lot of empathy, uh, and the way I saw the the group integrate the Cavitean Group in, uh, really embracing us and embracing our culture. So overall, you know, I think I learned a lot about doing things the right way in that situation. I think there's a lot of a lot of ways those things can go, but I was I was uh, I am and, and will always be impressed with uh, with the with the uh, empathy and and the embracing that 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 leadership team showed the Cavitean Group as they brought us in.
0: Fantastic. Well, let's talk about your, your transition to, to CEO. What uh, what did you know about NuVasive at the time and how the role become known to you and, and what ultimately uh, convinced you to take the job?
4: I was working for a, uh, a gentleman that had left to take another CEO role. And he had basically introduced me to a separate opportunity that he was sort of working that he wasn't going to pursue, which, which both uh, sort of set me in motion, but also uh, uniquely, start you know started down my pathway of pursuing opportunities outside of Medtronic. I looked at a few things and ultimately uh, became aware of Nuvasive. Early on in the process, met the current uh, the former CEO, uh, gentleman Greg Lucier.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, Greg and I spent some time together, and and the, the more I learned about the company, the more intrigued I became. Uh, you know, I just thought the company was in a in a position start sort of that early stage startup. Disruptive company that had grown fairly fairly quickly and grown fairly large, and it had a lot of parallels to some of the early experiences I had in my in my career, um, early days of Valley Lab before Valley Lab became a part of the surgical business of Covidian, and and just kind of ramping up business, scaling businesses. I looked at the company as a company that was in need of scale, um, but had I had foundational um, strength, uh, had, had strength and in innovation had a real strong culture, uh, had a lot of, uh, talented people. So as I looked in uh, more and more at, I looked at the spine industry in general, uh, try to look at it from any angles as I could. I just felt, uh, I felt it was a great fit for me and, and a, and a place I could go and actually have positive impact very quickly. So that's what sort of led me down the road. It was a, I want to say it was a lengthy process because it's the only process I've ever been a part of. But mm-hmm. to me, it was lengthy. Lengthy it was, you know, it was a bit of six or seven months that we were in talks and and ultimately took the job in uh, in late October of 2018. So coming up on on three years here this month.
0: Yeah, no, we had Greg on the podcast who probably la- last year at some point. Uh, no, it was earlier this year. But anyway, uh, I mean, you you did move into a position uh, at a company that had gone through some transition. Did it? Was it was it positioned and ready to go when you when you took a seat in the driver's seat?
4: Well, there's always things to do. I think Greg did a nice job coming out of. You've uh, really some challenging times in the company, and did a good job stabilizing, um, bringing a, a a really mature leadership presence to the company. I think my job is a little different. You know, my job was then. All right, let's turn the page and, and move us forward. Let, let, let's set the, let's site, let's set our sights on what the next ten years of our of our journey looks like. And, uh, and that's what I've been focused on, you know, really scaling up our capabilities, you know, restating our strategic direction, mm-hmm. um, just restating our culture, uh, you know, really reemphasizing and, and, and redirecting. You know, when I first came in, I looked at the walls uh, of the halls and looked at, at, the, at, the, at the information around the inside of the company and I saw things like a million dollar startup. And we already kind of th- crossed that threshold, so we were clearly in need of what's next. You know, mm-hmm. we clearly were not a million-dollar startup anymore, but a company in need of what's the next horizon that we want to set the sails uh, and set our direction towards. So, a lot of work that's been done over the last three years uh, to really reset the culture, reset the the primary objective, restate the strategy, shore up the operational capability. Uh, and 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 move us forward.
0: Give me your your assessment of Nuvasive, not in terms of quality, but just in terms of product offerings. When you when you joined, because I want to get into how it's grown. We're going to talk about Pulse and your acquisition and cervical, but kind of want to know what areas of the spine did you was Nuvasive covering at the time, uh, and, and and then we can sort of understand where you move where you where you have moved from there.
4: So the company really was started on in its inception as a this disruptive lateral company hinged mm-hmm. upon uh, you know uh, neuromonitoring capability uh, instead of going from the front of the body to the back of the body the ability to go to the side to do a lateral inbody fusion or, or, or what they call an x lift so the portfolio in many ways was really focused in in that in that procedure and 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 I think far and away the most uh, the most complete and the most Advanced portfolio, where they're talking instrumentation or the actual implantables, done a really nice job of building out that business and and that approach, which was great. It's really a strength for us. Still, we still have far and away uh, market share within within lateral. As I looked at it, though, I really did think then, okay, where where are we as a company, and where can we go? If I mm-hmm. look at that position, it's 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 a very fast growing minimally invasive approach to interbody fusion but it's a it's it's a it's a smaller subsegment segment of the broader spine market and although we it's a faster growing and we have market share there's other areas to go and focus on so we spent our time expanding the portfolio in really three dimensions and i say that the, the two that are portfolio expansion the third is more geographic but spent a lot of our time over the last three years repositioning the portfolio to take advantage of the cervical space um, to enhance our position in areas like posterior, uh, to, to engage and, and participate in this new enabling tech space, which I, I say it's new. It's not necessarily brand new, but new for invasive and somewhat new to spine, whether it be navigation, robotics, or, or, or any kind of technology that surrounds the procedure. And then geographical expansion. You know, we're just scratching the surface on what we can do in the international markets. So the portfolio was well represented in lateral. But they're, to me, a tremendous runway um, in other key segments of spine. And these are large segments, cervical in itself is a, you know, in its own right, is a $2.6 billion segment where we have, you know, less than 5% share. So a lot of opportunity that we see to expand into a full line spine, you know, provider.
0: Are there any inherent benefits to being a spine-only company? We see it two ways. We see you know, Medtronic has its spine business. Uh, Zimmer Biomed has just spun out its spine business. Is, is there any benefits to having spine and ortho together or just having spine be spine by itself?
4: I think there's, I think there's pros and cons.
0: And we are back. Chris Newmarker, give us number three on the Newmarker's Newsmakers.
3: Uh, number 3 on the list uh, this comes uh, actually like uh, you know this this is probably the the earning story that's gotten the most attention is you know g healthcare and 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 GE um, you know they're you know they had a a street you know beating q3 they raised guidance um but um their uh you know their ceo you know, G. CEO Larry Culp once again, um, you know, repeated, you know, some, you know, talk about how their uh, supply chain is. You know, it's something they're definitely like watching a lot. Um, it's something that could could get them headwinds. Um, you know, he uh, he used the phrase again that we caught in an earlier talk that he did, uh, like saying it was a uh, whack a mole situation. Uh, maybe uh, if we have Larry on, we should find out if uh, whack a mole was a favorite ga- game of his when he was a kid. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's a theme we're seeing with a lot of the earnings. I mean, right now we're just like buried in earnings this week. And, um, you know, overall they they seem pretty good, but, you know, we're also seeing a lot of talk about COVID-19 headwinds. You know, a lot of these are third quarter earnings. So the Delta variant caused, you know, especially in certain regions of this country, like the South caused, uh, you know, health providers to cut back on elective procedures again. There's worries that um, at this point that healthcare workers are really burnt out. So, you know, how, when, when are, when are those procedures really going to recover? Because you know, mm-hmm. there's obviously problems at the health providers and, you know, and then we got the supply chain problems, which, you know, we're seeing everybody talking about this now that, you know, it's, um, whether it's because of the pandemic or, or whatnot, um, you know, where, uh, you know, it's, 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 there, there's, there's some issues right now, like semiconductors, you know, it's, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll have to see how we all work through all this.
0: Yeah, I'm having some, I'm having a challenge in putting together the, the the agenda for Device Talks Boston. Not a challenge as much as a question. If uh, uh, Device Talks Boston is going to be May, as I said, May 10th and 11th. And I'm not sure if these supply chain issues are still going to be a thing that we should be talking about in May or whether it will be passed at that point. Uh, I thought initially it would be passed, but I'm not well, sure.
3: Our managing editor, Jim Hammeran has some ideas on that. I mean, the, the stuff that he's been hearing from experts that uh, like right now we're seeing these issues with the pandemic, but, you know, there, there's something called climate
0: change. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that might. Uh, Fortunately, it's a hoax. So,
3: very, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's all yeah. going to, the supply chain problems are going to be just fine. <laughs> Don't worry <laughs> about it. It's all going <laughs> I mean, but I, but I think that's what they're going to have to you know look at in the future. The fact that, I mean, we even saw that a few years ago when, um, you know, uh, Hurricane uh, Maria hit Puerto Rico. I mean, we, I mean, medical device companies had so many facilities in Puerto Rico. Um, It it caused it caused some problems. I think we'll see stuff like this in the future, you know, as until we hopefully, um, you know, get, uh, you know, get climate change uh, more, more under control. Um,
0: And then, of course, we hope it never happens again. But it's likely we will have another pandemic and we saw what that did to our supply chain. I mean, we need to we need to bring some of these uh, manufacturing of, of, of protective gear and things. We need to bring it to the states and I'm sure other things we should be building on this continent at least. So it's easier to, to get at in the case of pandemic.
3: Yeah. I mean there's just certain things that are just critical supplies that we shouldn't be, you know, having to uh you know, basically beg for it around the world. If we're uh, if we're in trouble, we need to you know you know there's certain critical things. I mean, I think and we've heard that from. I mean, you hear that people with all kinds of political backgrounds, you know, you know, kind of agree that we need to you know have have certain things just should be made in the United States. Uh, so we're you know set up when uh, the uh, next pandemic happens, which hopefully won't be another hundred years. So but, that um, would be nice. be nice. That would be nice.
0: That oh, would oh, be nice. speaking of on this continent. What is number two in the New markers Newsmakers? Well,
3: number two on the list is we've got uh, Medtronic launching its uh, Mazer X in Canada. So mm-hmm. uh, this is, uh, you know, their uh, you know, robot assisted spine surgery platform. So, you know, just uh, expanding it, you know, even uh, even more. So and, you know, it's also worth noting on the soft tissue side that, you know, we uh, you know, we had big news. In recent weeks, when uh, Medtronic got their uh, Hugo system, uh, you know, approved in, uh, in Europe and uh, there, we actually are our uh, associate editor, Sean Hooley, um, just has a, a great article also on our uh, on our sites, uh, you know, you know, talking more about, you know, the creation of the Hugo. So I encourage you to check that out as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And Sean did a great job interviewing yeah. Megan Rosengarten, the head of robotics. Uh, we ran that in last week's uh, episode, along with the interview I did with Yvonne Tornos of Zimmer yeah. Biomed. So, cool stuff for ca- happening in the robotics space and the tech space. Uh, the Zimmer Biomed story, I think, is one we'll need to follow. Yvonne Tornos talked about being more or less med tech and more tech. And that's a, that's kind of a term that, or, or a turn of phrase that Jeff Martha has used as well, kind of putting the tech into med tech. So, it's uh a fascinating trend we'll be watching in the future yeah, absolutely all right well let us speaking of techs wow we're having a we're having great segues here on this week's new markets newsmakers next we're going to talk about one.
3: virtual reality we Virtual got, reality uh, you know we got a new VESA of launching a virtual reality training platform for uh, spine surgery so so there you go and this was a uh, you know Created with uh, through a collaboration with uh, Precision uh, OS, so uh, Newbase is talking about how this uh, training module complements its, uh, you know, it's a clinical professional development program. So you know, kind of just another way that trying to up the game on training. We're moving a long way from uh, from the days when it was, you know, get a bunch of uh, doctors together in a conference
0: room. Um, you know, we're uh, you know we're seeing uh, a lot more cool stuff. All right, well that is great. Number one, Chris Newmarker, and as as I said up top. This is uh, a bit of a lead-in for uh, part two of our interview with Chris Barry, the CEO of NuVasive. We'll hear about uh, the rationale behind efforts like this VR program uh, toward the end of the interview. So let's begin part two of my interview with Chris Barry, the CEO of NuVasive. NuVasive. Are there any inherent benefits to being a spine-only company? We see it two ways. We see Medtronic has its spine business. Uh, Zimmer Biomed has just spun out its spine business. Is is there any benefits to having spine and ortho together, or just having spine be spine by itself?
4: I think there's. I think there's pros and cons. I think there's a there's a primary benefit um, as we grow into a full line provider because we have very clear focus, very very strong conviction. Um, you know, failure is not an option for us. So, I think in that regard, at our size and scale today, it's a competitive advantage, and mm-hmm. it allows us to move with agility. Um, we're not we're not necessarily trying to trade between businesses. We know what we need to do. I think the answer to that question in the long term is to be determined. Uh, for us, if if we can buy full participation by engaging with new technologies to further advance spine procedures. And through those actions, both by ourselves and maybe other another few competitors, if that creates a a more uh, rational spine market and minimizes the number of competitors and creates a little more stickiness, then I think the spine only concept could be good for many many years to come. But I <laughs> think through our efforts over the next you know three to five years, we need to we, we need to create more stickiness with our business. Uh, we need to 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 continue to become more for our customers and our surgeon partners and administrators and other key stakeholders that maybe we haven't sold our value proposition to. Uh, So we've got to work it out for us, but in the short term, I'd say it's a competitive advantage. I think we have to create that competitive advantage in the long-term. Interesting.
0: Let's move into your uh, investment in in cervical. Uh, So this was identified as an area where you were underrepresented and uh, an area you wanted to, to build your portfolio out. Into how did you approach that? Did you look first for external opportunities? Did you first want to build internal infrastructure for R and D? How do you how do you move into a adjacent sector?
4: Well, I think the first thing we did was uh, we had some we had some portfolio on spine where in the cervical we weren't we weren't <clears throat> completely not participating but when we were really honest with ourselves it wasn't overly competitive so we also looked outside and. And it was a space where there wasn't a lot going on. Um, it was a large market dominated by a couple of key players, but those players weren't doing a lot. So first and foremost, we overhauled um, the mainstay of that portfolio. We call it C360, but, but it's a comprehensive portfolio uh, for ACDF, you know, both anterior and posterior. Um, uh, and, and so we overhauled that entire portfolio. Uh, relaunched the interbodies associated with it, just did a, did a full-scale, really, really remake of that portfolio. That, I think, put us in a neutral to slightly advanced position. And then we started looking at the broader cervical market of what was the fastest-growing segment in cervical. Where was it growing? How was it growing? And two things that we saw. Um, one that we've taken advantage of, one I think we continue to really look at. Uh, the first was, from a portfolio perspective, um, there was a disruption that we saw kind of taking shape over the last several years with the CTDR, um, which is a cervical total disc replacement, artificial disc replacement in the cervical spine. And that segment was growing pretty quickly. Uh, and it was cannibalizing some of the ACDF procedures, maybe not as fast as what some people have, had maybe uh, thought a few years back, but... Uh, not a lot of competitors out there, and and we we took uh we took interest in a company called Simplify Medical, um, sometime late last year, early this year, if I'm getting my my dates right, mm-hmm. and and took advantage of that of that acquisition. So that's put us in a position to now participate not only in the in the really historical ACDF market, but now the CTDR market, and then the last piece I would say is and where we're really looking at now is the site of care for a lot of these procedures. We're seeing this. Particular part of spine have the propensity to move into the ambulatory surgery center fairly quickly so we're preparing and and looking for ways to better position our our organization to be able to to support procedures in in this uh, in this location so I'd say you know to answer your question it it was a started out with organic uh, development it's not that far removed from what we do in lateral slightly so we had some some learning to do there but then complementing that portfolio with some acquisitions and ultimately um, going out and, and, and seeing if we can engineer a side of care opportunities that, uh, that, that align with our, our customers' desires.
0: So you close the, on the Simplify Medical deal in, in February, at least announce it then. Uh, how would you characterize the, the size of the deal? Is it a large deal, a modest deal?
4: Um, it, it's a m- modest deal for, for you know, I wouldn't consider a, a, mm-hmm. a super large deal, but, but maybe moderate for, for our size and scale. It, for me, it was, the, it was sort of the perfect deal for us. Um, it, was, uh, it allowed us to leverage our supply chain capability. The, the, the company had done a really nice job with product design, clinical data. Uh, we then took it, optimized the supply chain, ramped up manufacturing capability, and are replying our focus on education uh, to that innovation. So I think it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very nice model for us that fits really nicely with who we are and what we do.
0: Terrific. And are you looking for uh, looking for new deals, perhaps larger deals? Is is acquisition the way you 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 intend on on building this out even further?
4: Uh, We definitely we definitely are looking. Um, You know that we're we're selective in what we'll we'll go after, but we're definitely looking. Uh, We've got an appetite to continue to Mm -hmm. build out the portfolio. We've got a very strong R and D effort that we continue to evolve, and clearly launching out the the Pulse system and launching out uh, ultimately robotics in the future we think, gives us a healthy amount of, uh, of uh, focus in R&D uh, to continue to really drive organic growth. But we're always looking to complement that organic growth with uh, with with outside you know, uh, M&A. So, we've got an active pipeline that we're managing and uh, see if we can pull some of those things through.
0: Excellent. And great transition, great segue to Pulse. That's what I wanted to ask about next. Uh, so, this is essentially your your digital surgery platform. Can you tell us a bit about Pulse?
4: Yeah, Pulse was um, is a, is a very interesting concept that we're very very excited about. Pulse is is what we kind of consider really our innovation platform. It incorporates uh, a lot of different technologies, some that are have have been available in the market for some time, but but quite frankly, just aren't aren't utilized. So our our thought was, how do you build a more of a hub? in spine surgery to build a platform that can be used across a multitude of applications that can incorporate a multitude of technologies. So I know it sounds tired, but it's sort of the smartphone of the operating room is what we think about it. It houses, but a single mm-hmm. user interface It houses um, our navigation capability. It, it houses our, our interoperative planning capability. It houses neuro monitoring. Uh, it houses less which is a technology that we purchased some time ago that i never thought we actually, you know, have have exhibited the value that that actually represents but it's also extensible meaning we can add technologies to it and continue to create that single user interface where a surgeon or or an room nurse or, or or a clinician can move from one application to the next in the same interface it's it's, it's much uh it's an efficient workflow and uh, like i said before it, it also enables us to continue to build upon the value of the platform so we're excited about that from that potential of building that hub, but also for us, mm-hmm. Pulse extends the parameters of our innovation. Think about spine surgery today; you, you you have to have instrumentation. I believe we have world class instrumentation. You need you need tremendous uh, uh, engineering capability on your inner bodies. Clearly, your posterior fixation. You may have you know some peripheral types of technologies, biologics, other things that that will build upon. But now, in our proceduralization strategy, when we say, hey, no independent or individual technology necessarily creates the best surgery, they all have a part to play, now we can extend the parameters of renovation by adding a navigation capability, a neuromonitoring capability, uh, other technologies that really give us a, a multitude of new uh Applications to really broaden out the effectiveness of our procedures. So we're 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 excited about it. Um, it's early days for us, but uh, we're getting great great response from our, our customers and and uh, like I said, it's it's going to be a journey. We want this uh, we want the system to continue to grow in value as we add more application to it.
0: And help me understand what it what it looks like and how it presents in, in the operating room. Is it a console of some kind?
4: It's uh yeah, it's a console with a with a screen. Um, it's got a separate uh, small camera that keeps purview of the entire surgical surgical field so for navigation other things mm-hmm. you've got some arrays and, and other technologies that that help identify and and give uh uh registration so we know where we are but yeah it's, it's a it's a sleek design um it doesn't take up a ton of space and like i said we we we, we want to continue to build application to it so unlike You know, other individual technology, roll them in for part of the procedure and roll them out. We believe this can stay, you know, stationary for the majority of the procedure. You may need to roll in a a CO spin or an O arm, but you'll be able to do that, move it out quickly and still have the same same system uh, that you're operating within uh, throughout the procedure.
0: And, and how is it, uh, is it, is something that's affordable for an ASC or is it, is it for larger hospitals? Who's the likely customer for this? And I know you sold one recently, so maybe we could talk about just the commercialization.
4: Yeah, we, it's primarily intended to go into the acute care setting, but it is priced at a, at a, at a point that we believe could, could, uh, could, uh, could move it into the ambulatory surgery center. And that's, that's our, our desire we have. We'll see how that goes, but uh, as as we stand today, we're really looking at the acute care setting uh, for the system. Um, mm-hmm. But as you know, as I said before, uh, we'll continue to explore opportunities in ASC.
0: And I should say, you announced that you did your first commercial cases of it. You may have sold more than one. x one, I saw the release on on September thirtieth. So, in leading up, you mentioned that this may be sort of a bridge to robotics, or maybe I'm mischaracterizing what what Pulse may be, but. Uh, Tell us about what your plans in 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 robotics would be. It seems as, as everyone has a a plan uh, for uh, for incorporating robots into their uh, into their surgeries. For more and more people, not everyone.
4: Yeah, it's 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 definitely in our in our in our roadmap for enabling tech. And, and the way we think about robotics is is an application within Pulse. Uh, I, I think robotics has a has a unique position to play in spine surgery. I, I don't think it's necessarily hit the mark yet. I think it's early days, uh, unlike, you know, other robotic technologies, intuitive surgical, where I think they made some really um, major enhancements to certain procedures over the years. They don't think we're necessarily there in spine yet. Uh, but I think I think us, like many other companies, are pursuing uh, a new standard of care through robotic technology. So pulses is, is important for us because we think it's the it's the first step. Uh, having a pulse system, having an integrated navigation system, having other technologies uh, incorporated in, and then having a robotic technology incorporated in, we think gives us a unique uh, opportunity. Uh, so we're we're actively you know in development of our robotic uh, application. It'll be a it'll be an, uh like I said before a plug-in to the pulse system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the software will integrate in, and then the hardware component of the robot will be, will be added in as, 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 as needed within the procedure. So we're excited about that. And then, as I said before, uh, as you think about the proceduralization and the, and the parameters of how we innovate, adding robotic capability into that mix, I think further uh, enhances our capability and potential to really create new and more innovative procedural approach. Uh, I think important, you know, the, the antibodies are important. The instruments are important, but as we think about new ways of doing procedures that are clearly enabled by robotic technology or integrated technology within a software platform, that's where I get excited because things that you can't do mm-hmm. today, whether you just don't have, you know, the cognitive load of the surgeon or the dexterity uh, or the information and the data, that uh, that can now be uh, captured and insights that can be delivered you know you think about now a surgeon standing over a patient mechanically doing surgery with uh, you know with 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 screws and drills Uh, you, you take that out and now you're kind of plugging in a software system between the surgeon and the patient you interrupt that circuit between the surgeon and the patient and you're adding in a capability you can call it robotics you can call it whatever you want but what it actually does is it creates a, a smart opportunity. And now you can gain insight from technologies that exist around us today, but don't necessarily exist in surgery. And once you interrupt that surgery between a surgeon and a patient, then I think the game has a potential to really change and, and, and have much more predictable outcomes in, 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 uh, in the operating room.
0: And just to be clear, you're, you're developing this technology in-house. And, and have you given any sort of timeline as to when... We may get a peek and when you may file for regulatory approval and such.
4: Yeah, we've sh- we've shown it a couple times in some smaller groups with some investors. Um, okay, but uh, but it's it's we're, we're keeping it somewhat under wraps. We, we've talked about first in human next year. Uh, we haven't really given any finer points than that. We're, we're working through the uh, through the development timeline, but we don't feel like we're we're too far off. Uh, we're going to walk before we can run, and and we're making sure that we we've got uh, things. Uh, well established, and 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 the timeline is 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 very tight. So we're retiring risk as as we move through this year and into early next. The regulatory pathway is is cl- you know more clear than it probably once was in robotics, but still not crystal clear. So you know we've been a little bit hesitant to to talk too much about what the regulatory pathway looks like. Although I feel like uh, we have, we have fairly good line of sight based upon there's other predicates in the spine industry that that we can uh, that we can look at.
0: You, would it look like potentially an OUS then US sort of uh, uh, path or, or I mean,
4: would you look US first? I mean, that's the, that's the trend we're seeing now. I can't say for certain, yeah. but we're seeing, you know, recently saw Metronix, uh, robotic, get the mark, the, 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 the larger yep. system, the, 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 the multi-quadrant system. <laughs> so I think that probably the, the regulatory pathway is far, is, is likely uh, faster in the, in the, in the, in the, in the International markets, or potentially in Europe, but that could change. You know, you, you never know.
0: A few more quick questions. I know you spend a lot of time with the man. I really appreciate it. Uh, you announced uh, recently new executive leadership roles. You appointed a chief commercial officer and a chief technology officer. Uh, these new positions, and, and I'm just curious, what kind of went into this this uh, this, this reformation of of the, of the management team? What does it What does it give new basis?
4: Yes, yeah, two things that I that I wanted to accomplish, and I'll take the commercial officer first. Uh, coming in, I, I sort of had a model. Um, we had a commercial leader and a kind of a business unit leader, and by having that, you sort of had sales and marketing in two different two different silos. Uh, and and we did what we could to try to break those silos down. But as we moved into areas like cervical, we moved into software applications like in the, you know the, the Pulse system. Uh, we were still sort of trying to negotiate between the functions of the organization. So, so by having a commercial officer that has both marketing and the commercial organizations underneath, uh, it just, it just minimizes the, the need to negotiate across and puts the, the primary ownership under, under our singular, a singular owner. And it, it doesn't solve everything for us, but, but the structure in some ways I thought was getting in the way of efficiency mm-hmm. and clarity of, uh, of what needed to get done. And clearly, you think about moving from that early stage disruptor with lateral to a full line uh, spine provider. The need for our commercial teams to go out and drive our cervical business, to go out and and, and support the sales and service of our enabling tech platform. It's a change. I mean, it's a significant shift uh, in our focus. And so, uh, I wanted to I wanted to get that I wanted to get those those groups aligned at the hip. And in order to do that, I, I put this position that now has both the, the commercial organizations globally and the market organizations globally to make sure that there's good business planning, good alignment uh, and good accountability across both those organizations. So that was the first. The second was something I've been wanting to do for some time uh, with the discontinued, uh, you know, maybe hangover of the, of the pandemic. Uh, just thought it was a great time to get it done. And, and that was elevating really the R&D group up into on to my staff and having a CTO. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things as we as we emerge, you know, out of this and we look forward, uh, one of the things I want to make sure that we that we constantly do is is we, we have to look what's 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 at our feet, but we we need to look what, what's coming on the horizon. And I want a dedicated leader of our R and D groups uh to to ensure that not only are we running a world class R and D organization, but we're really looking outside our four walls of what might be out there. And what's interesting from a pure technology perspective that we want to be keeping our eye on, and I, and I needed that uh, I needed that in, on my staff and at the table uh, within my staff. So that was to me an easy one, uh, something that I've been thinking about for mm-hmm. some time, just looking for the right time to do it. Uh, but with the commercial change that I felt the need to do, you know, it was just it made sense to do to do, to do it then instead of wait till the end of the year.
0: And then, final question, and I, and I consider it an achievement that we went through a 35-minute conversation and just now come upon COVID-19 <laughs> and you you're mentioned about the pandemic, and I think it's great. I think it's a sign of progress. But regarding surgeon education, I know you opened your your education center in San Diego, San Diego at your headquarters last year. You just announced you opened up your East Coast Experience uh, this quarter. I'm just curious, how did the pandemic sort of change surgeon training, or has it? Is it is a sign that you're opening up the East Coast Experience Center is it a uh, is it a sign that of a return to normalcy, or does this experience center sort of take into the take into account the lessons we've learned over the past year and a half? That's a great question.
4: Um, you know the the I don't know that we've returned to normalcy, and I guess the the thing from just from a purely pragmatic perspective, uh, the first wave in you know early 2020 things really stopped. You know, we, we didn't have people in mm-hmm. our training centers. Or, anything like, you know, the world seemed to stop then. And I think everybody understands what that means now. Some of the, some of the, you know, the, the trailing waves that we, that we felt, including the the most recent Delta variant, um, surgery was sort of impacted. We've had staffing shortages as a result, a lot of weird kind of weird things that have come out of this lace latest on this last few months. But within that, I would say that the surgeon training has actually ramped up. And in some of the surgeons, I've hey. even said, "Hey, during my downtime, where maybe we're still restrained on procedures, I've got a little more time." So our, our training centers have been have been bustling for the last several for the last several months, and including now opening up the East Coast uh, training center. Having said all that, you asked an interesting question: Has this changed things? Um, I don't know that it's changed things, but I don't know what the new normal will actually look like. I do know that our commitment to education uh, has to extend outside the, the, the ability for a surgeon to come to San Diego. It's, it's not the easiest place in the world to come to. It's a, it's a world-class training center and it's beautiful. But if you're in Boston, obviously where where you set, it's a, I mean, it's a full, that's a commitment to, to get out to San Diego, uh, for, for a, for a day or two of training. And so for that reason, plus some of our European expansion, having something on the East coast, having something that we could access for the, for the Northeast corridor, of the U.S., but also leverage to bring, you know, the uh, the, the the European folks into uh, w- was an important decision that we actually made before the pandemic. We just put it on hold during the pandemic. Now, does does it play into the fact that maybe people are less apt to travel going forward? I hope so, but I, I don't know the answer to that. But but we'll continue to try to extend our training capability close as close to our customers as possible to make it as easy as possible to come and engage with us. And as uh, from an education perspective, we look to Europe, we look to Southeast Asia, um, to, to as opportunities in the future to continue to, to build out our infrastructure.
0: Well, I really enjoyed the conversation, Chris. Thanks for thanks for joining us in the podcast. Hey, Tom. Thanks very much for having me. All right, it was great to hear from Chris Barry of Nuvasive, and now Chris Newmarker. It is time to what? Tell you where you can find
3: me. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a Newmarker. You can find me on Twitter at Newmarker. Always, always happy to network, you know, and you know, you can also find uh, device talks and uh, mass device on social media. So like, follow, subscribe.
0: Hey, you know, one thing we haven't, We've never pitched on here. We 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 give these these top five stories of the week. But uh, if people need more news, you have you deliver top five story every every day, right? Every
3: day, you know that yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got our uh, mass device plus five newsletter, uh, usually curated by yours truly. I uh, you know pick our uh, the top stories that we've got on a uh, mass device uh, each day, and uh, yeah, go go on a mass device, uh, find the newsletter sign up, uh, you know, and and. and Get the get the newsletter. You know, I'd also encourage you to sign up for uh, medical design and outsourcing newsletters and you know newsletters for other sites as well. But yeah, definitely plus five. That's a good way to get the daily news.
0: Absolutely, no, oh, great. And we we should have we should have pitched that sooner. But we'll 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 raise it from time to time. Maybe not every single episode, but every episode, don't... Tom. Every <laughs> <laughs> every episode, yes, yes. <laughs> what was I thinking? Folks can find me, of course, on Twitter at Tom. They can find me on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. Please, uh, please do connect with us there. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, find a way to get the word out. If Chris and I are meeting anywhere, it'd be great to list to find listeners, uh, meet listeners out in uh, in Minnesota, and uh, maybe buy you a beer. And uh, we'll see if our CEO is listening all the way through this podcast. I'm sure I'll be uh, <laughs> sure it will be brought to my attention if I'm over promising in the beer. But what the heck, <laughs> I'll have the company card. <laughs> how many of you could actually show up we'll see, but uh (laughs) but uh please do share this podcast on social media please do uh subscribe to this podcast and uh, you can do that on your social on your podcast apps rather uh amazon spotify google apple and others and uh please tell your friends be great to have more people listening to this podcast so uh that's a wrap. Great talking to you, Chris Newmarker.
3: Always a pleasure. It'll be great talking to you in person next week. I'm looking forward to it, man. I know. I'm so excited. Ah! Woohoo!
0: And uh, tune in next week. We'll have a, another great podcast for you. Uh, it may be another episode of the Device Talks Weekly, but we'll be releasing our second episode of Intuitive Talks next week as well. So uh, it may also be that. And that was uh, very well received when we uh, sent out our interview, our first episode of Intuitive Talks, our interview with Gary Guthart. And uh, next week's episode is equally interesting. So uh, keep an eye out for that. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks, folks. Yep.
3: Happy Halloween. Remember to vote.